Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 41. I invite you to turn in your own Bibles or your phone or simply listen as I read. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. The Jewish leaders didn't believe the man had been blind and received his sight until they called for his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Are you saying he was born blind? How can he now see? His parents answered, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who healed his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jewish authorities. This is because the Jewish authorities had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's old enough. Ask him. Therefore, they called him a second time, the one who had been born blind but could now see, and they said, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And the man answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. They questioned him, what did he do to you? How did he heal your eyes? He replied, I've already told you, and you didn't listen Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They insulted him. You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't know how and where this man came from. The man answered them, this is incredible. You don't know where he is from, yet he healed my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. God listens to anyone who is devout and does God's will. No one has ever heard of the healing of the eyes of someone born blind. If this man wasn't from God, he couldn't do this. They responded, you are born completely in your sin. How is it that you would dare to teach us? And they expelled him. Jesus heard they had expelled the man born blind. He found him, and he said, Do you believe in the human one? He answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said this, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I have come into the world to exercise judgment so that those who don't see can see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard what he said, and he asked, Surely we aren't blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now that you say that you see, your sin remains. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, our living Christ... Your spirit is here among us. Your light shines around us. Your love covers all of us. 
Lord, in this moment, I pray that each of us would hear what you would have to share with us, realizing we may hear different things in this text, but yet we will hear by your voice what each of us truly needs if we will receive it. Lord, I pray that you would speak. I humbly come before you and I give this time to you. Receive these words that I have penned. May they speak honestly from my heart. And may they share your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Last sermons are never easy. But it's interesting, this word, see... It's one of those words we, I think, you know, the first word, you remember the Dick and Jane book? Some of us remember those. I think one of the, word, the first words in there was see, spelled S-E-E. -E. And it's often meant to what we perceive with the eye, to see something or someone. To see can mean to visualize, to create a mental picture of something, or to imagine the possibility of something that is not yet, but possibly could be. We might say we see as an expression of understanding such as, ah, I see it, I now get it. can also be an expression of discovery. Wow, I've never seen that before. I've never noticed it. We can use it as an expression of assurance. I can see what you're going through. Or an expression of desire that we might tell our children See to it that the house stays exactly as it is now when we come home. Or maybe our employer saying, see the job through to completion. You may have heard it as an expression of judgment. I simply don't see what you see in that person. And finally, it can be used as something that my grandmother, an expression called seeing red. You ever heard that before? That was always a, a warning sign. When Granny used that word, it was time. You may, you may want to clear the room because she was about to go off on someone for something. I, I find it quite curious that this, this short three-letter word has over 200 synonyms and antonyms. And for such a short, ordinary little word, it has so many amazing uses. It gets around and it's used in all sorts of places. And, and many of them have really nothing to do literally with sight. I also find it quite curious that both Tammy and I were drawn to the same chapter of John in back-to-back in, in -back weeks. We hadn't talked about it. And in fact, we both realized it just last week that we were looking at some of the same texts. Curious, isn't it? Is it possible that God wants us to see something in this chapter? Or maybe it's just something God wants me to see. Either way, I'm reminded of the saying of Padraig Otuama, who said, when you find yourself stumbling over familiar or the same rocks, pick them up and examine them, and then use them to build altars. The events in this story recorded by John in chapter 9 are most likely connected to something that we see in his exchange with the Pharisees at the end of John 8 in verses 31 through 32 where Jesus said to them and all who believed 
You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Something truly amazing happened in this story, as Tammy shared this last week. Someone who was born without sight, someone who was blind from birth, was healed by Jesus, given his sight back. But almost immediately his seeing creates disturbances. It creates fear. It creates conflict. His neighbors don't believe it's the same thing. They look at this. You know, it, it looks like Bob, but Bob was blind. But this guy can see. Surely it's not Bob. He said, no, it's, it's me. Immediately they're so upset by it and not understanding what has happened, they take him to the Pharisees. The Greek tells us they led him which possibly implies he did not want to go on his own volition. You know, I don't know about you, but I suspect it's possible that we collectively assume those who are without sight, those who we would call blind, we may have this underlying belief that quite possibly we who have sight maybe see more, are more in tune, more aware, more connected that we have some sort of advantage over them because they are without sight. I can tell you it's a pretty humbling experience when you're with someone without sight who can tell you more about what's going on in the situation than you can because they're more tuned in than you have been. It was about a month ago now that Mary Jack and I were in Boston for Allie's graduation. The dean of the the School of Public Health began his speaking, it was at the end of a, a very long graduation ceremony, and it was a joyous time. And, and to be quite honest, I was getting a little tired. I mean, I was ready to go. I was, let's get this party started sort of thing, you know. And he got up there, and he immediately grabbed my attention. He identified this greeting as a traditional African greeting. I see you. And our response being... I have come to be seen. I see you. He told us that this was a common expression used in Africa, along the continent, among all the many tribes and languages. I discovered this was true, but the the, the source I found was actually in the Zulu language, the Zulu tribe, and the word was swabona, which means I see you. You are important to me. I value you. I see your imperfections. I see your flaws. But yet I am here for you. I see you. Their response was shiboka, which means I exist for you. And I see you. I see you. I have come to be seen. I see you. It becomes quite clear to me, at least in my mind, that this story that John has recorded for us have deep implications for us today, just as it did in the first century. This teaching displays something far more important important than literal or physical sight. And the, the initial questions of how did this happen and What did he do to make it happen are are important questions, although we must understand or we must see that they are not the only questions. 
the exchanges we read throughout this ninth chapter, the back and forth between the one whose sight has been restored and his neighbors, and then with the Pharisees on two occasions, brought his parents into involvement and said, what do you know? What do you, what do you see? What do you hear? And they say, hey, don't ask us. They talk, talk to him. I mean, there was a lot of tension here. It even brought confusion among the Pharisees themselves. Who is this guy? Is he for real? Surely he must be someone from God. Oh, no, he is a sinner because he's different from us. He believes different things. And yet, in the midst of all of this, it helps us understand that maybe our seeing has far less to what we actually see, but it's talking more about what do we understand? What can we look beyond? Can we see more deeply into situations? Sadly, we are often blinded by our own understanding, our lens of truth, which is often shaped by our life where we have experienced loss, where we have experienced failure, where we have experienced wounds, and these things have clouded our lens. They've limited our understanding and our ability to truly see one another because we get triggered by them. You've all been there, that moment when all of a sudden something happens and the rage begins to rise, and it's more than the situation warrants. Yes, that is when you've been triggered. And it has rarely to do with the person in front of you, but it's something that happened back in your past, maybe distant past. We need to allow the volcano to, to calm before it explodes. Because the truth is, we are fooling ourselves. Because so often, and I have been there, folks, I tell you this, that I was so sure that my truth was right and correct and superior than those around me. And boy, that's a humbling experience when you fall off that pedestal. You know, as I read these words of engagement and Jesus' response, there's something that arises in my heart and in my spirit a question that says, what, what is the ultimate purpose of our seeing? What is the ultimate meaning of our sight? Because I believe we must see and understand that truth that does not lead us into greater peace, greater love for and acceptance of others, if what we see does not impact our choices, our actions, the way we live in the world differently because of what we now see, then we are no different than those Jesus mentions in John 39 where he tells them, I have come into the world to exercise judgment, give sight to the blind, and for those who think they see, help them understand that they are blind. And yet this opens us up to a reality of truth. Because truth is often not convenient. And, and truth is also filled with hard lessons if we're willing to receive them. It requires us to listen. It requires us to hear. It requires us to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds if we truly want to grow. Anybody in the room ever experienced a 360 evaluation? They're kind of fun, aren't they? Maybe. 
sometimes not so much. Mine was both a, a lesson of deep humility and great sadness, but also a life-changing and freeing experience of truth. I experienced this 360 evaluation while I was on leave for a few years. I was working with Dick Broadcasting, the owners of 107.5 and Rock 92, and I was sent to the creative leader of the Creative Center of Leadership uh, in a five-day gathering at Grayland. And as I look back on it, I'm not sure if I was sent or given the opportunity, maybe a little of both. And, and the, the reality is these evaluations were read publicly among all those who were there. And some of them were really wonderful, but they read mine. Oh, my Lord. I was horrified. I mean, I was broken open. I, what they said, my peers said, oh, he is arrogant, he is proud, he is self-centered, he is someone who uses others to get what he wants. I mean, oh, Lord, the tears just, just streamed. It's like, this is not who I want to be. And, and I remember hearing that, and I, and I looked at these people who would only know me for about less than 24 hours. I said, are these things true? I went, Yep. Yeah, for the moment you got here, you can tell us what schools you went to and how many degrees you have. You're working on your doctorate. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you're an ordained minister. And you don't spend any time asking us about ourselves. You know, that, that's a gut punch right there. But you know what? As I said, it cracked me open. And in doing so, it helped me understand that I did these things as a way to protect myself. They came from my insecurities. They came from my fears of failure. They came from the losses in my life that I felt somehow I was not good enough and I had to build myself up to truly be acceptable to somebody else. And that was garbage. You see, God loves us just the way we are. And the people who love us see how flawed we are and nonetheless still love us. You and I have nothing to prove. We are enough, and we are God's beloved. I see you. James Finley describes salvation through our acknowledgement and wrestling with two essential questions. Can I join God in knowing who God knows me to be? Can I join God in knowing who God knows me to be? And can I join God in seeing who God sees me to be? Can I join God in seeing who God sees me to be. He tells us as we wrestle with these questions, seeking to find the answer within our own heart and spirit, we will also find salvation. The events in this story in John reveal the both and nature of our faith as well as our humanity. The questions of how and why, although they are obviously the most frequent and quite possibly the most obvious questions of our lives. And they are not wrong, but they are not the only questions. And they must be held in tension as we ask ourselves, what does our seeing, our experience of truth of the other lead us to understand and see in them? And yes, can we say, I see you, meaning we are present with them. We accept their differences. We look for the connections within our lives rather than the things that make us different or the fear that may be created because there are ideas are not our own. Can we say, yes, 
I am here to be seen, and I see you allowing ourselves to be present with one another, not seeing those things that challenge us and who we are and what we believe in each other, because they're there. Not to be feel threatened by what others see and how they experience the world more differently than we do, but rather to come together as a people, as a community, as human beings, and realize it is as we listen to one another, as we hear truth, our own truth, when it is grounded in God's love, will always open us up. I mean, given all that has happened in this past week, seeing all that is happening in our world around us, we need to just take it in, be present in this moment, rather than trying to defend, judge, or change all that is happening. We must allow the deeper truth of God's love and God's presence to grow deep within our own hearts and lead us to greater understanding, deeper appreciation of the other, and broader appreciation of God's grace and mercy for all. This will clear our vision and our sight and help us see who is our brother and who is our sister and who is my neighbor. I truly believe that if we wrestle with these questions that John Finley poses for us, can we join God in knowing who we are as God knows us? And can we join God in seeing ourselves as God sees us? We will be led to a truth that is freeing and expansive. Just as I also know that if our truth closes in around us, if it seeks protection and sees fear in the other, this is anything but free. I want to share one last story with you, and it's personal. And I don't say it to draw attention to myself. I, I, I tell it because I trust God leads all of us through the hard moments of life, those places where we are afraid, those places where we have been wounded. God often takes us back to these places to bring healing. And that healing doesn't mean God takes it away. The scar often remains, and that scar will sometimes reopen. But yet this journey is not about removing the wounds. It's about allowing God to bring healing, to open our heart and mind through these places. Most of you know that I had cancer, and, and I am so deeply grateful because the love that you showed to me, the prayers that were lifted, the meals that were brought, the cards that were sent, you, you truly touched my heart. I knew that you loved and cared for me. But the truth is, I still have cancer. It has metastasized to my lungs. It is small. It is growing. Too small to be biopsied, but... Mayor Jack and I went to the UNC Cancer Center a couple weeks ago to be entered into a trial, and I found out just how special I was. They've never done any research on this type of cancer, so I'm like, oh, my God. But they were comforting, and they said, this is an opportunity. And they gave us hope with their care, their compassion, and their love. I am afraid, but I am hopeful. You see, this is the both and of life, being hopeful and yet afraid. 
I am hopeful in the same way for our society at this moment that is being torn apart by, by really each other, that we will find a way to stop. I am hopeful in the same way that we as a church, the United Methodist Church, will find a way to love one another and see our shared humanity rather than our theological differences in the same way that I am hopeful as I walk the labyrinth. Right outside the um, cancer center, there's this beautiful labyrinth in a courtyard. And I told Mary Jack, I, I, need, I need to walk the labyrinth. The labyrinth has been a, a vehicle of God's healing in my life for the last 25 years. The one thing I, I said in the early service that I regret, I really wanted to find a way to purchase a, a canvas labyrinth that we could have here at Centenary that could be put out during Advent or Lent during special times of need, and I just never got around to it. The labyrinth is a vessel that God has used, and I, I knew I must walk it on that day. And as I entered the labyrinth, I, I felt the, the breeze of the wind flowing around me and in my heart, I, I, had, I, I just had this knowledge, this is God's spirit. This is the wind, the breath of God that holds me, that is with me. As I walked into the center or towards the center, I heard the voice of God saying, the center will hold. My love for you is fierce. You are my child. As I continued to walk around the labyrinth, I noticed these beautiful trees that were around it. But I didn't really see the trees. What I saw was the roots. I was drawn to those to stop and pause. And I heard the voice of God saying, sink your life deep into the roots of my grace. My grace and these roots will provide what is needed to live and to survive the storm. It will hold you, and I will shelter you. Going deeper into the labyrinth, as I walked towards the center, I began to notice, notice the noise all around us. There are people walking and eating and sitting and resting. There was a woman who cut right through the center of the labyrinth as I was on it. I thought, what is that about, Lord? But I let it go. Then I noticed that there was this construction. They had this huge crane out there, and obviously it's a hospital, so there's ambulances coming and going, and, and there's this noise, and I realized that in the midst of all the chaos of life, that God is present. You don't always need to find a quiet spot. You just need to pay attention where you are. And as I was exiting the labyrinth, I looked out and I could see this one opening. There was a road that, that led off campus. And I felt this deep sense of trust that God is everywhere and within all of us. Even when we don't see it in one another or recognize it in ourselves. I see you. I challenge you, come to be seen and to see all those who are around you. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.